everyone, this is Fashion Knowledge and my name is Bata Vinchuk. I am a Berlin-based critical fashion practitioner and I work across education, research and strategy. I lecture on fashion, design and digital cultures and I run a consultancy and research laboratory called Unfolding Strategies. In each episode, together with my students and fellow researchers and practitioners, we discuss the fashion's most urgent issues and try to reimagine the socially just, sustainable and digital fashion futures. Hi, welcome to the new episode of uh, Fashion Knowledge. Today, my guest is uh, Tabitha Swenson. Tabitha is a Berlin-based multidisciplinary designer, creative technologist, and artist. Her practice includes 3D animation, augmented reality, digital fashion, graphic design, and UX UI. Commercially, Tabitha has worked with brands including Vogue Germany, Nike, Heisnobiety, Reebok Origins, and others to create beautiful work in the creative tech and design sphere. Artistically, her work is used as a form of therapy, often composing questions rather than answers and trying to faintly touch the unseen edges of human existence. So welcome, warm welcome to Vita. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm very happy we can talk about it today because I think we met in about I don't know. I think it was 2018. So it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, a while ago. It was very much pre-pandemic times. It was when I was doing this. Um, I was teaching in Berlin as a visiting professor at University of Virginia for like a education startup called I Experience, and they're from South Africa. So it was like this kind of course uh, that was all about digital design. Uh, and I was like programming it and I was, you know, interested in also showing the kind of critical thinking, the origins of digital design, to thinking what it actually is, what it is like, you know, political and ethical dimension. And I also had assistants uh, teaching students like, you know, you know, different kind of like Figma and other things. But what was very important to me is to have those students who are mainly coming from American universities to meet Berlin-based practitioners and people who do interesting things in our area of digital design. So they met, for example, I don't know, Han van den Doppel, who, whose work I really appreciate. And they were also very interested in meeting someone who works with UX and UI, and you came in to, doing that. You gave a talk about your work and UX and UI predominantly. And I really appreciated it because you were somehow extremely transparent. Uh, you know, your talk was very engaging and was, you know, so it was something very incredibly genuine and it kind of stick with me. There was really no bullshit in it. So I really like it. And then we, again, our paths, paths cross when I was doing a workshop about, um, about digital and sustainable fashion, how kind of, what is the relationship between them? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a very easy workshop because it was with many students from Beirut. It was like online between Berlin and Beirut just before, uh, just a few days after the big Beirut blast. So uh, we were all working in rather, you know, special, difficult uh, conditions. And I was happy that you were, you know, open to also address that and, you know, be aware of that. Uh, that some of, you know, you were teaching back actually then that workshop. It wasn't anymore about UX and UI. As we met first, it was about how to make uh, face filters. So the mm -hmm. context kind of of your practice switch a bit, uh, but it was a great workshop. Uh, so 
I'm I'm mentioning I'm mentioning that because you know today this podcast is called Fashion Knowledge, and obviously at some point I will start asking you questions about fashion. But I'm mentioning it because I think your practice is super multifaceted and it evolves with time. And uh, you know I really appreciate this adaptability and ability to learn to, so fast. And you know I think it ref reflects very much the condition we are in this uh, rather rapid paradigm shift. And I would like us today to reflect on what digital design is today, how it penetrates our lives, and where do you see it going? And you know most importantly, what is it like to design for the digital today? or create as you prefer? Um, and that's kind of the question, right? So how, what is it like to design for yeah. the digital of today? You. Um, yeah, I think that it's it's very much what you said. Um, there's a paradigm shift and it is like the, the atmosphere and the industry has changed so much, you know? Like I remember my teachers back in design school, um, and they had done that for their entire lives you know a lot of them were still doing like stop motion animations and they're very old school and stuff like that and i think that myself and a lot of my peers today we've already gone through like myself i i went to school for graphic design and then i went to school after that for fashion and then i've got a marketing degree after um but like from then i went to you know, working in design and then working in marketing and then working in UX and UI and then doing augmented reality and doing 3D and now doing more digital fashion. And I think that a lot of peers have a similar route to this as well. Like I'm, I'm 30 years old and I, I feel like I've had like four career changes already at this point or, or five. Um, but do you think it's a career change or is it just like a natural uh, event? I think maybe it's a it's a slight pivot and and it hasn't felt like a career change maybe in in that way you're right it's it's felt very organic I think mm. um maybe just for me it's been just following my curiosity and and going where it takes me and I think all of these all of the things that I've done at least um they all kind of bleed into each other you know like even UX like user experience and planning events or or making a a 3d video you know like you have to understand the experience of the user and the person who's watching it um in the end and kind of understand to to what information to give them when to give it to them um and like what kind of questions they might have where the where the gaps might need to be filled um yeah so i think I think it's been quite the opportunity actually to be able to be born in this time when we have access to so many digital tools and when those digital tools as well and the technologies are becoming so much more accessible to so many more people. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think it's fascinating to see, you know, the scary, the threatening parts, but also the creative and beautiful parts that the uh, mm. uh, digital revolution is bringing. And I was very excited to, you know, see, because I, 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 I don't see you as a person often, but I see your work very often on social media. And uh, I was very excited to see on Instagram that you started doing 
digital fashion and you even created another Instagram account for it where it says it's a fashion brand. So I found it very exciting that you as a, you know, as a, as a creative practitioner, as an artist and designer, uh, you suddenly now make clothes as well. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's called All the Hidden Things. And I don't know, could you tell me how it came to life? Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, I, I studied fashion and I think like from a child, my dream was always to be a fashion designer. It's it's always been something I've been interested in. Like, I think the psychology behind fashion as well is so interesting. Um, even if someone, what someone wears or doesn't wear says a lot about them. Even if someone doesn't care about fashion at all, that also says something about them. Um, and it's not good or bad. It's just like a reflection of, of people and how they feel on that day or like, looking at it on a macro scale, like how they want to express themselves. And yeah, that's always drawn me in quite a bit. Um, and I always, when I was a child, I wanted to be a fashion designer, but I didn't like sewing at all. Um, so I kind of took that route in like the more fashion marketing realm. I was working for a bunch of fashion things in Vancouver. Um, and then when I came out to Berlin, the UX new I job I had was was at Zalando, so it was definitely more in the tech sphere, but it was still peripherally um, in the fashion realm. And I, I briefly worked with them on a project, um, just as a as a model to be three D scanned, but uh, on like an AI project when they were trying to figure out some ways to possibly use AR to help with sizing issues, which is a is a huge topic and, and every company is kind of investigating into this. Um, yeah, and then just working with a bunch of other fashion brands like Vogue and High Snobiety, um, I was always really peripherally in it and I kind of was building up in my head to just like, maybe when I had a moment, which was earlier this year, to kind of take the plunge now that I've gotten into the world of 3D to kind of take everything that I love about fashion and everything that I I know about it, or at least in in my reference to, to fashion um, and kind of put that into those new skills that I learned over the last couple of years. Um, yeah, and start making clothing. And I think for me, um, all the hidden things is really mixing kind of things that maybe couldn't exist or shouldn't exist in this realm, things that do exist. Um, and then just, yeah, mixing them together to see what happens. Like with with some of my pieces, I have this one dress made out of, of water or glass. Um, I think that that's quite fun. Um, also putting, you know, the, the fashion images and the, the people wearing the fashion that I create, putting them in surrealist environments um, and really just having fun with it. For me, it's fashion has always been a, a way to creatively express myself. Um, and I, in many ways, view it as another form of art. Um, so really bringing that into kind of an artistic realm with with what I do, uh, I think that's kind of the the core of all the hidden things, and I'm I'm curious to see where I take it. Yeah, I'm also curious to that <laughs> my my question. You know, what's gonna where is it where is it heading to? But maybe 
maybe tell me a little bit like why did you call it all the hidden things because in your bio it also says that you're trying to faintly touch the unseen edges of human existence and it sounds very esoteric and mysterious but yeah. is there where, where does that come from i think a few places i think um for me i i don't personally um subscribe fully to, to any religion i think but I, i grew up in a pretty religious home um and then i also have a mixed background so i grew up with like a lot of um you know like anglican stuff on my dad's side but then on my mom's side like indian and chinese culture and like also with that learning about the customs and like stuff about the religions that are associated with those cultures as well um and I think that maybe growing up, I was always in a, a bit of a liminal space, um, kind of caught between worlds maybe, but also seeing that maybe even though those worlds in some ways were so different, um, like people are the same in a lot of ways. And we all have like the same desires at the core, like to be loved and to give love even if that's like buried under layers of trauma for some people mm. um and i think too just like yeah we're we're all here living on this world and and we're more similar than we think we are and i think too maybe something that i love about religion and mythology is just like this desire to try to explain things that can't be explained like this and maybe and maybe shouldn't be explained you know sorry what did you, what was that oh, so i thought you liked this kind of potentiality like there's this attempt that there is totally. i i do but i also like that i'll never be able to it's like so frustrating you know it's it's a paradox because i you know i attempt to do it not a paradox maybe but i i attempt to do it and i like i'm so drawn to it and i love it so much but it's something that i can never truly touch and never truly reach. I can only just like faintly brush against whatever I can brush against. Um, and I think that the inability to touch it is like what makes it so appealing and enticing. And for me, I'm I'm so curious. Like, I think that's probably my most uh, notable characteristic perhaps. Um, and so for there to be things that I can never know the answer to. Yeah, again, it's just uh, maddening and beautiful at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, that's very that's very very cool cool to hear that. And I was and, and as you say that, I'm straight away thinking also about your aesthetics mm. uh, because you said that was like my characteristic and and I was because now we are in the you know in the kind of the world of voice only and for people who are listening to it and they never seen your work. Uh, I think maybe it would be interesting, you know, to describe what are your aesthetics and how they could be, you know, even linked to those very vague, esoteric, you know, in-betweenness uh, and liminal spaces. Uh, I was I was trying to define it a little bit and I came with something that sounded like medieval digital gnome lost in the fantasy. <laughs> so that was my that was my take on it. So if can anyone imagine a medieval digital gnome? Lost in the fantasy labyrinth, and also add a little bit of like humor to it. Mm. Um, that that would be my take. But like, how do you? How would you describe it? I mean, I think that's a pretty apt uh, description of it. I think <laughs> um, 
Yeah, the main thing for me with with my art, um, kind of as you said in the bio as well, like part of it is therapy, but um, I think therapy, humor can also be therapy, you know, I think that's something I turn to quite a lot and humor is also just fun for me. Um, and I think with for me, like being able to make my own worlds um, and to be able to to kind of inscribe whatever I want to to put there as like the the kind of baseline uh, rules of it. Uh, it's so powerful. I think that for me, like making things in three D, it feels like hope. Um, and that's something I, I told to a friend a little while ago, and I, I still think it. Um, yeah, and what, I think especially like what, during. What, oh, what sorry. Go mean, ahead. What, what does it mean? Uh, what does it What does it mean when you say uh, it feels like hope? It feels like it's hard to describe, maybe, but it feels like a light, you know, in my life that maybe during COVID when everything was kind of like pretty scary for a bit. And I think maybe for me, it was extra scary in some ways. I like, I live alone in like a tiny apartment. I was like meant to go back to see my family and then I couldn't. And I just like, like I'm from Canada originally and it felt really scary, like being so alone and so far away from my family. Um, And I was already doing 3D before that, but I think the ability to just like immerse myself and have like a sense of control over my environment when my external environment was so out of control. Um, I think that instilled a sense of like hope in me that, you know, that I could make a difference where I wanted to, even if it was only internally. Um, yeah, and that was really powerful for me. Mm. Yeah, that's 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 beautifully put. Um, I'm happy I ask. Uh, <laughs> maybe I must. No, because because maybe this is also something that's quite you know fascinating because of the pandemic, uh, everything digital accelerated so much, and there's a lot of conversation now about the metaverse and what it will be like uh, when we even you know live our life more digitally, even though we do it now very very much, and we are so in sync at least about 50% of the population uh, in this world that has, you know, constant access to the internet and digital devices that enable it, this kind of living and this lifestyle, because obviously mm -hmm. this is still not everyone as we very often tend to think. Um, but I'm thinking, yeah, if this kind of controllability or feeling of control is not something that, you know, makes us feel much more safe and makes digital accelerate, but sometimes also, you know, I think it's an illusion, but this is just an off, um, uh, off-site observation. I would like to maybe talk to you a bit about your projects that you not necessarily make in context of fashion, but also with musicians. So I know that you worked with Sevda Lisa, who I'm a big fan of, Princess Nokia. Mm -hmm. Now you're working uh, with Jan. So what is, it, what is it like to work with music? Um, I really love working with music. I think I've been working kind of peripherally with music stuff for a while as well. Like when I first moved to Berlin, I started making a lot of like posters for gigs, um, 
maybe especially with a, a group here called Shameless Limitless, um, which is uh, kind of an or organization putting on a bunch of shows here. And that was a lot of fun. I think that for me until more recently, it's kind of always been something that I've done out of, out of passion and it still is, but maybe now that I've been able to work with some artists that are a little bit bigger, um, who maybe have agents and, and have budget, it's really cool that it's become something that I can help support myself um, financially with as well. Um, Sabdaliza, that was a great project. Um, that was actually on a, a fashion release for a t-shirt and a hoodie. Um, and this was before I was making my own digital fashion and it was with a, a group called Skatoma and we were both brought onto the project by um, Mutant Board, which is a, a company based in London. Um, and they do like a bunch of digital modeling stuff and like digital fashion uh, kind of things and great company. Uh, but Subdeliza, that was fun. Like the, the group Scotoma Lab made the fashion elements and I brought them into um, a 3D world that I had made and kind of animated it a little bit. Um, yeah, and we made a bunch of videos and a bunch of, uh, of stills for the launch and that was, that was really fun. Um, for Princess Nokia, this one was super fun. I, I did it through Feltzine and they paired up with um, a, oh, I forget the name now, but a, a, a club in uh, New York. And this was for a Twitch stream. Um, and I got to make part, like there, was a, there, there were many videos made, but I got to make like a seven minute video um, that played on loop for some of her Twitch performance. Um, and kind of the theme was a, a space spa. Um, so I made it and I made it with like a lot of purples and like a lot of shiny colors and, and that was super fun. And I had, um, it was, it was lucky because I had complete creative control over it other than just like following the, the theme of it. Um, and that was fun. I, I made it all in 3D. Um, yeah, I, I kind of uh, pushed it to the limit. I, I, yeah, went above and beyond. I think what I what I thought I would do initially, but I was just so excited um, to do it. Um, and then Jens is a they're a, a band and they're from Copenhagen. Uh, two really nice guys, uh, and they asked me to do the the whole like artistic direction for their um, album and and that release and. Yeah, it's been a pleasure working with them and also really honored that they they gave me the trust uh, to to do that as well. Um, yeah, so working with music stuff is a lot of fun. And I think that maybe with design and with like 3D and stuff like that, it's one of those industries where you can really push the boundaries. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, for example, with more marketing based campaigns or even with some fashion things, like depending on the brands, if they're big brands, they're often rather conservative. Um, but with music, I think that they're really looking to push boundaries a lot of the time. And I think that that's something that's really fun about working uh, alongside musicians. And who would, that's going to be a very uh, kind of uh, lame interview question, but like, okay, 
if there would be a person you would like to work with or for in the music industry, who would that be? Is there anyone like that? Oh my gosh, tough question. Um, <laughs> my mind's running a blank right now. It doesn't have to be a living artist. It could be, I don't know, Beethoven or <laughs> I don't know. Ooh, I don't know. I... Uh, Jesus Christ, <laughs> that's going to be my answer. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know uh, who it would be, but uh, I'm sure I'll think of it as soon as we end the interview. Okay, you can you can message me later. Uh, yeah, yeah. Post factum. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, one of the few last things I wanted to talk to you today is uh, NFTs, because I saw you've been minting some NFTs, so... I was um, curious, you know, what what does it mean to you uh, to be doing that, to be, you know, to be selling NFTs as a as a digital creator? How does it work for you? What do you think about it? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think that there are pros and cons to it. I think um, obviously the environmental concerns are super valid. Um, I think though that for artists, I mean, for for myself and and pretty much every artist I know, um, it can be a tough life, you know? It can be hard to make a living, to have people respect your art, to respect your time, to pay you on time, stuff like that. I think that this is really a gateway um, and kind of a, a transitioning period, hopefully, to a place where these crafts are being respected a little bit more mm-hmm. um, and also having some hope for um, a livable, like a, a life where people can sustain themselves uh, by making their craft. Um, I do think as well that there are many platforms out there exploring other types of um minting processes uh even you know for example like uh pick at nunk which is like minting with tezos which doesn't have the environmental impact that ethereum does but even for some ethereum based platforms um like there's one that i just minted on portion and for that i used it was on the ethereum like mainnet but it was uh it used a plugin called palm and Palm, P-A-L-M, is like a cool plugin that I put into my MetaMask. And um, it used like, I, I don't know the science behind or like the technology behind it exactly, but I could mint for like less than a, a one US dollar, you know? And that in Ethereum would have been really costly and also would have had um, more environmental impact. Um, yeah, so I think that there are solutions out there, and I think that it's uh, becoming more accessible. It's interesting that when we when we tap into NFTs in this conversation, it very quickly jumps, you know, to environmental impact and sustainability. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if this kind of debate that started with uh, you know sustainability and NFTs and in general digital sustainability, uh, does it also affect your other projects? So. I don't know. I'm just figuring now that if we are thinking about, you know, the the the, the footprint of one NFT, uh, I'm curious. Like, does it apply also to projects? Like, for example, let's say you work with uh, with uh, yeah, doing I don't know, 
uh, something for Twitch stream like you did with Princess Nokia. Mm -hmm. And uh, are there any any kind of comments in your briefs or like conversations about it, how to make it sustainable or at least assess what its impact of the project? Um, I think that that is something like for digital things, it's not always talked about in those terms. I think that it is something that's valid though, because for example, like the battery of a computer has a huge environmental impact, you know, even just like rendering the amount of power it takes to like render a video or render like a piece of sustainable fashion, which, you know, in many ways can be better and is better than than IRL fashion, in particular, if it's fast fashion, and there are many um, pieces that are being made. And if they're being like mass manufactured, of course, sustainable, like digital fashion has less of an environmental impact. But for one to one, you know, for example, if someone's like upcycling something um, that has like a it's like better for the environment but yeah I mean all I'm trying to say is that digital fashion still has an environmental impact um, even if it's not something that's tangible in the same way that a bunch of like runoff items from from mass manufacturing is um, but it's not something that's generally spoken about for example with like the twitch stream or something like that um, but it is something, for example, I worked with um, Judith Bondi um, and I, I made a frog and, and she printed it on her uh, shirts, the, the 3D yeah. frog that I made. Fashion designer, right? Yeah, exactly. And that was definitely a conversation there. Like she's very much all about sustainable fashion and like even the shirts that she picked out and the printing that she picked out, like she only printed what she knew she could sell um and the printing process was good like the where the shirts were manufactured she like looked into that she knew it all like the quality of the shirts were really good and she knew that they would last for a long time so I think with projects like that it's very much talked about I think maybe not always as much when it comes to um rendering stuff also because it's hard to track as well and hard to like yeah you know yeah to understand that yeah, I'm just curious if this kind of, you know, logic of tracking, counting, uh, putting things into numbers, comparing impacts. Mm -hmm. I, I'm just wondering if we're going to, you know, develop standards pretty much for, for everything and it's going to kind of, you know, spread from one discipline to another. Uh, the the Beirutti workshop that you participated in, um, mm -hmm. there was also a contribution from uh, Dorte, who, uh, Dorte Jesus, who runs the magazine, The Listen. And uh, as Dorta is very particular about sustainability, or I think she prefers to use the same term, regenerate, regenerate, regenerative fashion, mm -hmm. uh, and mindfulness in fashion and so on. For me, it's pretty much evolving language and, and different terms that are used, but of course mm -hmm. they're different and you know we could dive deeper into each of them. Uh, but I, I, I invited her to uh, you know, talk about what is it like to do a magazine about sustainability, about sustainable fashion, and kind of lifestyle, because uh, it's a magazine, and then, you know, to print it sustainably, so the way it's produced. And then we start, I said, okay, what about your website? Because, you know, there's so many images and so on. And they said, yeah, it was actually the last thing we looked into, you know, it was mm -hmm. much more, much more obvious to think, 
how sustainably print rather than how to do sustainable digital design. So yeah, it was it was very it was uh, you know it was very interesting to see that this is that when it comes to material objects that we you know because I think digital files are also material objects they also have this um, they also have some presence they exist somewhere the mm -hmm. fact that we cannot grasp it with our hand doesn't mean that they do not exist uh, but that's another kind of ontological question <laughs> but it was really fun to see you know that even when you deal with sustainability so deeply as a as a core of things you do the digital comes last yeah yeah, and I think it's um, probably just because we as a society have more understanding of of physical things rather than rather than digital things. Because I mean, the internet was invented in like 1990 or whatever, and really has has not been around for so long compared to um, yeah, compared to the entirety of human existence. So I think it's something that will develop kind of um, better standards for and more of an understanding of and, and maybe even like better language for as well um, as time goes on. But I think it's, I mean, it's it's been around for my whole life, but um, my life is very tiny in the, in the span of uh, humanity. And I think that yeah, I think that we'll be forced to change, you know, I think that, um, yeah, there are a lot of people out there who maybe haven't been affected by climate change, especially people in the global north, um, whereas in the global south, uh, I think the effects of environmental change and, and kind of pollution and stuff are sometimes a bit more evident. Um, but I think that in like the global north, uh, we're just kind of starting to see those now, you know, in Vancouver, where I'm from, there was this one day, I'm trying to remember it, but like the water got so hot that like all the fish in this area died. It was something mm -hmm. that was akin to a horror film, you know, and like the entire beach was just like covered in dead fish and like all the water was just like full of floating dead fish and it smelled terrible. Um... Yeah, and stuff like that has been happening all around the world. And so I think that people aren't going to truly listen, like everyone, I mean, isn't going to truly listen until they're made to listen. And that's just Mother Nature telling us what she needs. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, that's I, 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 I'm very just curious to see, you know, how it's going to impact creative, creative work uh, totally. in the next months or years and how... How it's gonna how it's gonna happen because I, I I'm certain uh, it will and it's and I think it's gonna be pretty fast uh, movement but yeah let's see I'm curious I'm curious of those uh, new developments that are gonna you know follow the speed of digitization yeah same um, also curious I guess all we can do is kind of wait and see there's so many unexpected surprises even this like last year and a half. Um, has changed so much, you know? And I think that um, it's given a lot of people a lot of perspective on their lives, on the world. Um, and I think too, uh, yeah, we just gotta be able to be adaptable and be able to, to understand that to a degree, like many, everything is temporary. 
um, even if the temporary period is greater than our lifespans. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great summary. Yeah, let's be adaptable. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tabitha. <laughs> Thank you so much.